standard issue for all women. Hello there, Hannah here and welcome to this week's Sunday Chops. You might be able to hear a bit of background noise and that is my new washing machine. But given that I've been without one for a couple of weeks, I think on average you'd probably rather listen to a tiny bit of that than accidentally bump into me in Tesco just wearing my pants. Okay, so on to this week in which I had an absolutely delightful conversation with the author Jane Campbell. Her first book, a series of short stories called Cat Brushing, is out now. The main character of all of the stories is an old woman, which is quite revolutionary when it comes to publishing. Shouldn't be, but that's the world we live in. Joan, talking of old ladies, Joan, stop scratching the sofa. You should absolutely give it a read because it is unlike anything that I have read in a long time. Jane herself is 80 and I find this late career burst quite inspirational. Not because I'm of the opinion that old women can't write books. In fact, I'm sure many, many of them can. But because Jane has proved that it is possible to be 80 and still find new ways to enjoy your life. So I think that's an inspiration for all of us. Hope you enjoy this interview and indeed the rest of your weekend. Hi, Hannah here. I am joined by author Jane Campbell, writer of an excellent book of short stories. It's called Cat Brushing. Thank you for joining me, Jane. It's very nice to be here, Hannah. My first question for you is not to do with your book, Uh, Now, I know you've lived in some pretty hot places in your life. In Africa, you've lived in the Caribbean. So have you got any tips of how we sustain ourselves in this enormous temperatures? I absolutely hate hot weather. Yay! Um, I I did grow up in Africa. I actually spent, I have spent a lot of time and still spent half a year in Bermuda, which actually is not the Caribbean. It's up north. It's much, much further north. It does get very, very hot in the summer. And it gets very humid. So I absolutely hate it. And when I'm here, I don't expect it to be hot and I feel angry and resentful. (laughs) I'm absolutely furious that the week of my book coming out, um, it should be so hot because we're going to have a lovely launch. And I don't want everybody wilting in the heat, including me. Agreed. I'm always happy when I meet somebody else who's really grumpy about hot weather. I'm English. We weren't built for this. No, no, I was born here. Although I grew up in Africa, I was totally born here. Do you know, every time I read a short story, I forget that I really love short stories. I, I think, why don't I read more of them? So when your book dropped on my desk, I loved it. What I also loved is that your stories are all about older women. But before I, I get to that, we had a little chat yesterday. And I, while I was on the phone, I kept thinking, I don't know what the right word to use is. And I don't want to be rude because I know it's a it's a touchy subject. What is your preferred term for women if over 70? Do, do you go with older? Do you go with elderly? Do, I know my mum does not like elderly as a word. Well, first, I must totally out myself. And one of the USPs for this book, apparently, is that I'm actually 80 myself. So I'm writing from within the camp. I am an old woman and I know what it's like. I like old woman. I don't like old lady for various reasons. Mm. I never liked the word lady instead of woman. And elder and older, they kind of fudge it a bit. I'm old and I'm not always happy to be old, but I think it's absolutely ridiculous to pretend I'm not. So I'm an old woman. 
Hello, Hannah. Reading this book, the first story, almost the first page you get into, we, we crash right into what I'm then going to call old woman lust. And it occurred to me reading this that this is a massive untapped market. It's like a book that exists and suddenly I realise it needs to exist, but perhaps I hadn't noticed it was missing so much before then. Why do you think that we don't talk about this, not just in literature, but as a society? Are we scared of lust in old women? Are we repulsed by it? Are we terrified by our own futures what, what do you think puts people off the quote I, I think it'd be quite useful to quote it what is it i say have you got it oh here we go it starts the lust of an old man is disgusting but the lust of an old woman is worse yes now somebody else asked me that and i first of all have to say i'm no sociologist i've never done any research on this i haven't a clue but anecdotally intuitively and just knowing something of human nature i believe that's true I believe that society is harder on old women who apparently have a sexual life. But then I'm going to qualify that by saying that I think the reason this book has made a mild sensation is I write about old women as I would write about a 40-year-old, negotiating their way through life, given the circumstances in which they live, trying to form relationships, because as human beings, we all need relationships. Remember my career in group analysis we form attachments, we have our hearts broken, we get excited, we get fearful, all these things. I just wrote about these old women negotiating their way through a network of relationships. And nobody's done that before, but it's because people forget that old women are just ordinary human beings, Mm. just ordinary human beings. And human beings can't live without other human beings. It's not that different in terms of your emotional life. The issue about sex, quite a lot of people have said to me, Jane, is this about old women and sex? And I say, no, it absolutely isn't. It's about old women and relationships. But most relationships between men and men and men or men and women or women and whatever involve a degree of sexual attraction. What you do with that is secondary. I'm basically a neo-Freudian. I believe that. It comes out in the stories So a lot of my old women, in terms of establishing and searching for relationships, do end up with a sexual component in the story. But that's secondary to the search for attachment and linking and being able to communicate to other people. Mm. Because a lot of these stories are also about taking a chance, grabbing an opportunity that is put in front of you. Yes. And of course, later in life, you know, they, those opportunities don't come along so often, but also there's more of a, a clock set on if you don't take these opportunities now, when are you ever going to take them? And not only that, but what I'm arguing is there's often an element of disapproval. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In society. And I mean, I have a lovely family, so I always feel a bit guilty when I do this. But I know from experience that families can be extremely critical and constraining and They just don't anticipate it. They don't think it should happen. They think mum should just, you know, probably play Scrabble all day or something. Or (laughs) knit, knit like my old woman in cat brushing. Yeah, because I've actually got a lot of old women in my life. I come from a really big family. So I've got a lot. I mean, I did lose quite a lot of aunts in lockdown, but I still do have a lot of aunts, perhaps more than anybody else I know. And I absolutely love their company and... But quite often it needs to fit in with my life on my terms. I don't want to patronise them and be like, oh, I know you've got nothing going on in your life, but I'm actually really busy. So can we do this next week? 
because they have got things going on in their life. They absolutely do. It's <laughs> uh, where to start. Don't forget you are talking to an old woman. So this is what we're like, you know. Yeah. I mean, not all like me, I, I hope. But I was really interested to hear, this is an answer to your question, I was really interested to hear last week your guest refer to Sayers' article on Are Women Human? Yes. I thought that was, a, you know, a little private pleasure of my own um it's a remarkable remarkable thing it was written as she said i think 35 in it uh, dorothy says argues that the point about female equality and she does go to by the way she says she's not a feminist she doesn't want to be a feminist because she doesn't believe in classification mm-hmm. she doesn't believe in classifying men as one thing women as another but also she does say that there is an assumption that women are slightly subhuman it's very subtle, you know, but it's there. And I call this othering, you know, it's when you other something, you just make it, you know, it could be a migrant, it could be a, uh, it could be an asylum seeker, just different in some ways. And you immediately adopt the assumption that that person is slightly less than human. You've got to be kind to them, of course, but just a little less. And I think old women, uh, I think this is what society feels. I don't say they know they do it. I think it may be unconscious. I think this is what society feels about old women. Even younger women feel they other older women, mm. that they are just not quite as human as we are. And women have, for years and years, struggled to say, hey, we do have inner life, especially mothers. You know, we do have lives and thoughts and feelings of our own. So then to just assume that that would stop after you hit a certain age is, is ludicrous. Exactly, Hannah. Mm. What age does a switch go off? Yeah, well, yeah, you no longer have a personality or thoughts or opinions. I also feel like we are, in many ways, going backwards. And I kind of would date it to around sort of the Brexit referendum in which suddenly we had this idea that old people do have opinions, but they're all rubbish. The generalisations that came around that time that seemed to be pitting generations against generations, I I find it really damaging. Now, one of the things that I also want to talk to you is, is about death, which hangs over all of these stories. Well, of course, because they're old. Yes. Our impressions of death or our fears of death. How have you managed to sort of entangle those in your stories? Well, this is going to sound a little pretentious. I just wrote these stories. It doesn't sound pretentious. It sounds absolutely common sense. These old women turned up in my head. I think there was an element of anger about wanting to write about them because I could sense, particularly during lockdown and so on, this casual denigration of old women. They used to put pictures in the papers that were really, really, uh, I thought, quite quite demeaning. And um, I think I was angry and I wanted to fight back in a way. But nothing that goes into the stories is particularly conscious. I'm not a sociologist, as I said, I, am, I have turned out to be a reasonable short story writer, but I made up these stories. I made up every single thing in these stories, not the settings, but the characters. And I don't really know where they came from. The point is, when you are um, over 80, death is not far off. You asked me about my attitude to it. One of the thoughts I've had is I, I am a war baby. I was born in 1942. And um, for a period of time, my father was posted missing, believed dead. Now, I didn't know that. This is when my mother was pregnant and when I was a baby. But I think somehow I would say that in the atmosphere of the time, people died. You know, people died. Mm. People died. And it was just part of life, in a sense. And 
I think I've never really moved on from that attitude. What's really clear in your book, and there's there's what there's one story in particular um, that's absolutely full of those platitudes that people say around death. You know, oh, she had a good innings. Oh, that she, one, um, Susan and Miffy again. Yes. Yeah, yes, it's Susan and Miffy. Where you, you know, or oh, what a great way to die in your sleep and. We're just saying those things to ourselves, aren't we? We're saying them out loud, but I think that that when we do, because again, I think I'm probably as guilty as anyone of saying things like that. You just want to say something reassuring. You just want to to feel like you're saying something, but you don't really know what to say. Yes, but but you see, at the risk of sounding patronising, I I don't think it's bad to say all that. I mean, we are, after all, only human. Thank you, good point. Thank you, Jay. That's reassuring. We need such consolation as we can find, Mm. and... And actually, in Susan's case, they didn't know this. That story is a very good example of how families haven't a clue what's going on in their old people's lives. They just haven't a clue. And they thought that she ought to live long enough to see her granddaughter. And that would make her so happy. She was happy. She died happy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that does bring us to this, this other quote that I have here, which is, I was told of an older woman who was asked by her granddaughter, Granny, when was the happiest time of your life? I don't know, she replied. I may not have had it yet. Yes, that's lovely, isn't it? Isn't it just? Now, I'm interested in you, you, you talking about being born during the war when your dad was away and you were raised by your mother and your grandmother. Yes, actually, actually, my mother and my great-grandmother. Your great-grandmother? My mother's mother died when my mother was a child. So there's a oh, okay. middle generation, which is... I think very significant. Yeah. So I'm curious to know how you feel as an old woman yourself now, how you feel that your experience is similar to the experiences you saw those them go through or whether you think it's changed any or, you know, whether it's made you feel closer to them, how, how aging has, has made you feel about the older women in your life when you were growing up? Well, my great grandmother was a remarkable woman. She had a single daughter who died when, she was 35, having had seven children. The seven children all had children, so their grandmother, my great-grandmother. I was the first child to be born to one of her children. I loved her. I loved her so much. Um, I lived in her house till I was four, and then actually we ended up in Africa. I have letters that I wrote to her when I was seven. They're totally tear-jerking. I think she was the calm centre of my life. And the impact on me now, I have tried. I have grandchildren, lovely grandchildren, and I have tried at times. I've even said to them explicitly, I'm trying to be the grandmother that I would have liked if my missing generation had lived, if you see Mm. what I mean. So I came over to university from Africa and I would have given anything for my the grandmother, because my great-grandmother was dead by then, for my grandmother to be here. And to be available as a home, as a, as a resource, as a, as a friend, as a money supplier, and all the things that students need. Mm-hmm. I didn't have her. So I'm trying now to make up for it with my current grandchildren. So in a sense, it's, I'm taking inspiration, but also I'm aware of what was missing, and I'm trying to fill the gap. Yeah, that's does that great. Make sense? It does make sense. Yeah, it's a good answer. You've been writing stories 
for a, ho- a hobby always makes it sound quite patronising, but as someone else who writes as a hobby, I don't mean it like that at all. You first decided to send a story somewhere when you were 77. Yes. What changed? What changed was it was the first short story I'd ever written. I mean, like you, you, I think you said something at the beginning about finding out you liked short stories. Yeah. I'd always sort of dribbled stuff, uh, novels, novellas. I'd always written poetry, things like that. Um, I am, after all, an English graduate, so it's inevitable, I think. I decided I was staying in Bermuda with my eldest son, uh, just there for two weeks on that occasion. My lovely daughter-in-law was in Toronto. I was alone in the house. I was brushing a cat. I was literally brushing a cat, Lucy. There were two cats, Lucy and Sarah. And somehow into my head came this picture of this old house woman who, whose companion was a cat. And I really, again, but like, I don't know where these women come from. And uh, there she was in my head. So I wrote the story over about four days and sent it to the London Review of Books, who don't publish fiction normally. And they published it, and that was the beginning. So I think it was that I changed my mode. It was the first short story I'd written. But I also think, frankly, Hannah, it was just the most extraordinary stroke of luck. I think there are brilliant writers all over the place that don't have the chance that I've been given. Yeah, I think that's quite often the way in life. It's it's about making the phone call at exactly the time that the right person to answer it is standing at that desk. You're yeah. right. And also it is about, I don't actually play the lottery, but it symbolically it's about buying the lottery ticket. It's yeah. about writing the story and sending it in. You yeah. do have to do that. And you are a great writer as well, I, I, definitely, but... You're absolutely correct. You can't win if you don't buy a lottery ticket. So for a lot of people, that's what the problem is. They enjoy writing, but they can't bear the idea of someone telling them it's not great or, you know, maybe it is great and they they know they're never going to finish it. They're not that personality. Do you find that the story that this is now being published in your 80th year, do you find that that that's at risk of becoming the story itself or is that something you don't mind? Well, in in a way, I don't mind. I really don't mind. And perhaps I'm showing people that being old doesn't mean you're always dysfunctional and all that. But it is a little bit like, <laughs> so Samuel Johnson, who, despite his dreadful chauvinist habits, was yeah. <laughs> a, great, a great thinker. He was told of a woman preaching. I mean, I'm going to misquote this, but it's basically okay. He was talking about a woman preaching, I think. And he said, hearing a woman preach, one is impressed not with the fact that it is done well, but that it is done at all. Yeah. So writing short stories, having a debut collection, as they say, in your 80s, reminds me a little bit of that. You know, is it? Is it that they're good or is it simply that I've done it? They are definitely good. I feel the need to keep stressing this point, Jane. They are definitely good. They are about a topic that is so unexamined. Yes. I I think you hit that nail on the head so hard that that it feels necessary in a way to have these stories out there. Because like we we, we said yesterday, I mean, now there's you and Alan Bennett writing for old ladies, (laughs) because up until recently, there was only there was only Alan Bennett that I can think of who wrote genuinely complex older female characters. And we're both published by the London Review of Books. I think that said something. There you go. And what what company? Thank you. Now, bearing in mind that you 
have some more books now. You are going to be writing some more books. I want to revisit that question from that quote, Jane. Is now about to be one of the happiest times of your life? Okay, so I'm afraid I always have a sort of pompous answer. That quote came from a very dear friend of mine uh, that I've stayed in touch with since we were at Oxford. And it really struck me. And apparently it was his grandmother who said it. I don't believe in happiness. I certainly don't believe in searching for happiness. I think one can stumble upon it. I have stumbled upon this. I genuinely feel I've stumbled upon this um, very exciting time in my life. To be paid to um, write has always been a dream. That has been the dream. And to quote Samuel Johnson again, no one but a blockhead ever wrote but for money. So absolutely, it is a very happy time. I think what it really means is not what's the happiest time, but are there happy times possible? And yes, if this is the question you asked me, my life has exemplified that. And again, what astonishing good fortune for me. I feel um, in some curious way, I think, you know, do I really deserve it? But I'm just going to plough on and do what I can to entertain people with stories of dodgy old women. <laughs> can I ask, what is next? Is it more short stories? Is there no. a novel there? No, sadly, well, having found my forte, I'm about to abandon it. Um, <laughs> I, signed, I signed a two-book deal last summer, thanks to my remarkable agent. And the next the next book will be a novel. But I think I can guarantee it's not going to be a standard novel structure. That's all I can say. If I wasn't interested enough in reading it, I'm even more interested now. Cat brushing is out as a reminder out on the 21st of July I would give it a big old recommend Jane thank you so much for your time this has been really interesting Hannah it's been a positive pleasure thank you Standard Issue for all women